does Judaism allow for gambling? So people have been playing games for money and betting on skill and chance since the earliest records of civilization. We've been doing this for thousands of years. Um, gambling in its many forms, and we're using gambling as a really, really a generic term over here, for oral financial bets where nothing of value is being purchased. Right? So while people often call the stock market a gamble, and it is in a sense because it's high risk um, or other um, forms of trading that might be high risk, there you're actually buying something of real value, supposedly. Um, but but when we refer to gambling over here, we're talking about where you're buying nothing of actual value. You're just risking money on a um, betting money or risking money on a supposition or a chance um, or a skill, perhaps, uh, where nothing of value is actually being purchased. So um, this has always been part of society. Many societies, of course, have frowned upon gambling because of personal and societal problems that it causes. In this country, we have debated the uh, merits of gambling uh, for forever, essentially, since the beginning of this country. And we continue to do so. Um, with many states legalizing gambling, some states like California only legalizing some forms of gambling, um, only allowing our um, only our, allowing our Native Americans to have casinos, um, and then other states such as Nevada famously allow it entirely. Uh, and so, uh, but we do know that through much of our history, um, at least for the two, last two thousand years, Jews have gambled. We have records of Jews gambling uh, going back at least 2,000 years. Um, often religious leaders, as um, we'll soon um, talk in more detail, frowned upon gambling, but it definitely persisted, like in every society, even in places where gambling was illegal. Um, they, people always found ways to get around it. Um, every betting form that was, or gambling that form that was illegal, people always did it anyway. Um, it, seems to be, it seems to be part of human nature. Um, Perhaps the most notable form of Jewish gambling was the last few centuries in Eastern Europe where Jews would play dreidel on Hanukkah. Now, the dreidel, we're familiar with the spinning top that has four sides to it. And um, it was often played for, um, for money. Um, and um, it could be, doesn't have to be paid, played for money. Um, it was played with children, for, with coins, or with, I guess that's small money, or nuts. Um, but it was often played by, with adults or older kids um, for money. Um, and that gambling with the dreidel was definitely common. Also, we know that the last couple hundred years in Europe, card games were very commonly played on poker and other card games were commonly played on Hanukkah um, in Eastern Europe. Um, and Hanukkah was, even though people that generally did not gamble, Hanukkah was the one time that families would get around, would, would gather around. Hanukkah was always a time where um, people would have Hanukkah parties. Um, families usually would get extended families, often got together for Hanukkah parties. My extended family um, on all sides um, had Hanukkah parties um, and get together still for Hanukkah parties. You're coming in sideways. I, on the Facebook Live, you, you're, you're sideways. <laughs> you got to look here, you're sideways. But you have to what, turn it off and then turn it back on because you turned it on when it was in vertical instead of horizontal. No, turn your phone. No, no, you got it like 
You mean they didn't have these things in ancient times? No, they won't rotate. No, no, it's not rotating at all now. So, so Jews have um, so would play cradle and card game on Hanukkah. Even people that didn't gamble all year, families would get together often and gamble on Hanukkah um, as well. Would get gamble on Hanukkah. So. It's not clear where the dreidel began. Um, we have records of it, of the dreidel playing, going back at least a couple hundred years. It was only found in, originally found in Eastern Europe. Um, historians think that, point out that it's very similar to a um, European game that is not really played anymore called Tito Tum, which was a spinning game that was very common in Europe a couple hundred years ago. Um, and the four letters on the dreidel... Um, a dreidel has four letters on it. Nun, which when you get on the nun, you do nothing. Gimel, when you land on the gimel, you get everything. Hay, which when you land on the hay, you get half of the pile. And shin, when you land on the shin, you have to put everything in. So, um, or half in. Different ways of playing the game. Okay. So, so in, um, well, some only put one in. So, uh, so some say, some say that um, those four letters, nun stands for nisht in Yiddish, which means nothing. Gimel stands for gantz, everything. Uh, he stands for halb, half. And shid stands for shicht, which means give. So, um, however, Jewish scholars at the 19th century, so th- there was a similar European game, it's not clear what came first when you have two similar games in different cultures or similar things in different cultures. It's often hard to establish where it started. Um, Jewish scholars of the 19th century believe that the game of dreidel goes back to ancient times. Um, it is very, very old. And, uh, they would, and it's often said that the four letters Nud, Gibel, Heishin also stand for Nase, Gadol, Hayasham, a great miracle happened there, referring to the miracle of Hanukkah. Now, Reb Tzvi Elimelech of Dinov, in his famous work, the Bnei Yisachar, which was a work that was published in the 19th century, explains that there's great mystical significance to the dreidel. He explains that the four letters of the dreidel um, stand for four different parts of a person described by one of our greatest Jewish thinkers, the Maharal Rabbi Yehudalo of Prague, who lives in the 1600s. They are the guf, the body, the nefesh, the soul, the sechel, the intellect, and hakol, the everything. In other words, everything coming together. And so the gimel is guf, body, the nun is nefesh, soul, the shin is sechel, which is intellect, and then everything coming together is the hey hakol. Uh, he also mentions that in the prophecy of Daniel, in the dreams of Daniel, Daniel speaks of four different empires that will rule the world. Um, Babylonia, Persia, Greece, and Rome. And um, these four kingdoms are each represented in these different four um, parts of the individual. Um, 
Babylonia represented the guf, the body. They were very strong in the, with the body. Um, um, Persia represented the nefesh, the soul. They were more spiritual. Greece represented the sechel, the intellect. They had great scholar, scholarship. And Rome was uh, included everything and represented hakol. And though we have had enemies in all of these empires, we have managed to outlast them all. And that's what we are celebrating on Hanukkah and celebrating with our game of dreidel. He also points out, interestingly, that every letter in Hebrew has also a number value, where Aleph is one, Bet is two, Gimel is three. We call it Gematria. We have a class coming up um, on March 15th. We're going to talk about Gematria, um, the Jewish number value system. So... um, the, uh, in that way of each letter having a value, Nun is 50, and Gimel is 3, and He is 5, and Shit is 300. 50, 3, 5, and 300 equals 358, which is the same gematria as the word Moshiach. Moshiach is Mem, 40, Shin, 300, Yud, 10, and Ches, 8. So together makes 358. So Moshiach is our future redeemer, and we will overcome all these kingdoms to um, ultimately um, reach the times of perfection when we have our own kingdom in the, with the coming of Moshiach. The Bnei Yisachar further points out something very interesting, that well, on Purim, we spin graggers. When the name Haman is mentioned, we spin these graggers, which are noisemakers. Um, the traditional noisemakers that we had was kind of a stick with a thing that goes around the stick, and it would make noise as it hit the stick, and little bumps on it, and it makes noise as you spin it around. On Hanukkah, we spin a dreidel. He points out that on the gragger, the stick is at the bottom, and the um, bulk of the gragger is out on the top. On the, um, in the dreidel, the stick that you spin it with is on the top. And he says that is because <laughs> on Purim, the miracle came from nature. It came from, it was just a regular story where Esther, the queen, was able to intercede with Ahasuerosh and she was able to save her people. So nothing supernatural happened, nothing out of the ordinary happened. The people were saved, but in an unexpected way, and they were saved from great danger, but nothing, um, nothing um, unusual, no, nothing miraculous, overtly miraculous happened. So in, in, essentially the miracle came from below, below meaning our, our reality. On Hanukkah though, both the miracle of the war where very few Jews were able to overcome the massive Greek armies was a uh, miracle of few, uh, where few were able to overcome many, and they were untrained. And so that was a somewhat of a greater, more obvious miracle from above. And then the miracle of the Hanukkah lights, where the fire lit for the um, oil lit for eight days, was a supernatural miracle. Those are miracles from above, and therefore the stick of the. Um, dreidel is above, while the stick of the gragger is below. So, uh, so those are just some interesting reasons why we play dreidel. Dreidel was widely played, as we said, by Ashkenazic Jews um, in Europe. Um, it was 
Sometimes just play it as a fun game with uh, using nuts or coins, but it was often played um, as a money game, um, gambling, and um, and that raised the question: Is gambling okay? Does Judaism allow for gambling? So one problem with gambling is the risk it entails. When you gamble, you usually do not win. Right? Now, Judaism does look positively at risk. We do encourage risk. Um, We encourage investment, where a person invests and takes a risk. In fact, one of the only ways to you make money, um, legitimate money, is either to work hard, and um, your efforts create um, value, or you take risk and invest, and then your risk could generate value. So we, but we don't believe that ultimately anything happens by chance. Rather, we do believe that everything comes from God. Throughout the Torah and throughout Jewish history, lotteries were widely used, what we would essentially call games of chance. In fact, in the days of Moses, God tells Moses to split up the land of Israel, of Canaan, that they're going to capture among the Jewish people. Every person that left Egypt is going to get a plot of land um, in the promised land. Um, They are going to choose who gets what land through a lottery. And in the book of Joshua, once they cross into the promised land, that's exactly what they do. They split up Israel through a lottery. Later, um, when trying to identify who committed, who, who was responsible for certain things, Joshua draws a lottery. Saul later draws lotteries. Um, in Proverbs, it tells us that lotteries are in the hands of God. So the winner of the lottery, it's all up to God. And lotteries, we know, were used extensively. In the temple, um, there were lots of Kohanim priests everyone wanted to do to have the honor of um, doing specific um, services or specific activities that were required in the temple. And they would um, divvy it up. They would give out the different roles based on a lottery. Every day they would have lotteries, and the Kohen, the, the priest that won the lottery, would be the ones that would get to do the specific things. Um, also in Jewish law, um, when you're trying to split up inheritance, um, not always is it cash or something that can be split 50-50. Sometimes they are different things. You get the house, I get the field. You get the donkey, I get the camel. So sometimes it can be splitting up different things, and if they can't agree as to who gets what, um, you split it up via a lottery. So two partnerships that break up also can be split in the same way via using a lottery. So lotteries were widely used throughout Jewish history uh, for decision making. But these are not lotteries where everyone is putting in money and there is a single winner. These are not that kind of, these are lotteries where you're trying to make a decision and the lottery is being used in decision making. Um, this This was definitely widely done throughout Judaism. Gambling though, a lottery that's a gamble where you're actually throwing money in and hopefully getting money out, but you don't have much chance. Only one person is going to win or only some people are going to win. Um, that kind of lottery we don't find that much in Jewish history. That would be more gambling. And would that our question for today is, would Jewish law, Jewish ethics, Jewish values allow for lo- lotteries? And for that matter, does it allow for gambling, for playing games and um, playing poker? playing blackjack or playing any other, whether card games or um, any other forms of gambling, uh, where you throw money in 
and hopefully hope to get something back or hope to make more. So the Mishnah in Sanhedrin, in chapter 3, tells us that someone who is Masachek Bekuvia, someone who plays with dice, as well as somebody who is Mafriche Yonim, who flies pigeons, cannot be trusted as a witness. The Mishnah over there is dealing with who are people that have stolen in the past, people that have what today we would call criminal records, cannot be trusted um, in court. And so among the people that we do not trust them in court would be people who play with dice and people who fly pigeons. Playing with dice is definitely a form of gambling. Um, they would play with dice for money, and they would gamble. And dice have been around for a very, very long time. Flying pigeons, there's some debate as to exactly what that entailed, but one opinion says that it was betting. They had, before they had the horse races, they had the pigeon races, and um, they would bet on flying pigeons. So, um, so clearly, if these people cannot be trusted um, in court, um, their actions must be illegal, right? If it was legal, it wouldn't make it wouldn't disqualify you from serving as a witness. So clearly, these actions are illegal. But the question is, why? What is wrong with gambling? What is wrong with betting? Why would it be illegal? So here, the Talmud offers two, in Sanhedrin, offers two different opinions. One view is that of Rami Barhama, who says the problem with gambling is the money made from gambling or betting is illegitimate money. Since the money made is illegitimate, therefore it is stolen money, and you are essentially, although you're not a thief in the sense that you're breaking into somebody's home, but you have stolen money, you're taking stolen money. Rav Sheshit says that gambling, the problem with the reason why gambling and betting is illegal is that it is unproductive for society, or in Hebrew, it is unproductive. What does that mean? So let's analyze them one by one. The first one, the first view says that it is money made from gambling or betting is stolen money. The reason why it's stolen money is because it falls under a Jewish legal term called asmachta. What is an asmachta? So an asmachta is a kind of deal or agreement um, that is invalid, where someone makes a commitment that they clearly never intended to pay. If someone makes a commitment that they never intended to pay or were not certainly going to pay, um, were unlikely to ever pay, they do not have to pay it because it is not a real commitment. For example, if I tell you that I don't believe you can do something. If you do it, I will give you a certain amount of money. So according to Jewish law, that commitment that I made, even if I signed that I would do it, is not a standing commitment. Because I didn't believe that you would be able to perform the feat for which I offered to give you the money. 
So I never actually thought I would be giving you the money when I made the commitment. Therefore, such a commitment is invalid according to Jewish law, and you do not have to pay up on such a commitment. Um, another example would be certain forms of penalties. Uh, if somebody agrees to take on certain forms of penalties, if they are not able to, um, if they're not able to do something that they were certain that they would be able to do, um, again, this would be an asmachta. It is not a val- even if you signed and agreed to it, it is not considered a valid agreement since you never really intended to. You, you never intend to fully agree to it. So, or you never intend to actually give the money when you made that commitment. What if the um, money is put into an escrow account that actually exists? Good question. Uh, the laws of Asmachta are somewhat complex. Um, generally, uh, sorry, so we're going to soon talk about exactly that question. The laws of Asmachta are somewhat complex. Which agreements are possible? There are certain penalties that are legal. Some are not. Jewish law is, has a lot about Asmachta. Um, but for our purposes, um, Rabbi Barhama says that the same as with gambling. If you commit to gamble, um, if you are committed to gambling, um, that if you, if this and this happens, then you will pay up this money or this money will go to someone else, that, that mo- you never actually intended to lose the money. Nobody walks into the casino intending to give up money. Right? You intend to win. Therefore, the gains from the gambling are illicit gains. They're not valid gains. Somebody who made money from the gambling is illicit gains. They're not valid gains. And therefore, the money you are holding is illegal and must be returned. Um, since you're, if you do not return it, you are um, effectively stealing. And therefore, that would brand you a thief. And um, by extension, having committed... Um, by extension, you would not be trusted anymore. Now, there is some complexity as to exactly what kind of gambling would entail an asmachta. Rabbeinu Yitzchak, known as the Ri, um, says that an asmachta is only if a person is gambling on something that involves their own skill, such as they are playing a game um, and they've put down money on their own game or they're racing horses and they're um, relying on their skill or on somebody else's skill, betting on horses, where uh, playing backgammon when people put down money often, um, where it's very much a game of skill, uh, perhaps some could argue poker is skill, um, that it's very much a game of skill, and so therefore um, you believe that you are you only go into a game of skill if you believe you have a greater and put money on it if you believe you have greater skill than your opponent you therefore never actually intend to lose and never intend to give up your money however Rabbeinu Yitzchak says that something that is pure luck roulette or um, or a lottery which is pure luck there's no skill to it whatsoever you go in knowing that you have a very big good chance of not winning and so therefore that would not be considered an asmachta it would not be considered an illicit game yes how about playing chess playing chess putting money down on it yeah that would sure. be a skill right that would be a skill Right, which Rabbeinu Yitzchak would say, world, anyway. where Rabbeinu Yitzchak would say that it would be um, 
it would be an asmachta because nobody goes into a game expecting to lose. <coughs> Others argue, Rabbein Otam, um, another um, French scholar from the um, 12th century argues that it is not an asmachta if the money is put down on the table. So if you put the money down, if you commit to give money, then it is an asmachta and then it is an illicit gain. But if you put money down on the table, as Ida mentioned before, then you've already put the money down. You've already given up the money before you started playing. Once you put the money down, it would not be considered an asmachta. And so both of these opinions may permit then some forms of gambling. There are other Jewish medieval scholars that disagree. Maimonides is notable, the Rambam. He prohibits all forms of gambling as an asmachta. He says any form of risk-taking or gambling is an asmachta. It is an illicit gain, and therefore any money made is illegal money. And you are not allowed to make money um, on gambling. Yes? In this day and age, there is significant infrastructure that makes money as the result of gaming. They are not the people doing the gambling, they are supporting the infrastructure. It would also be illicit. Would that be? Okay. It would be illicit the same way according to these opinions. Um, again, it's debated as to exactly which form of gambling is considered an asmachta. <coughs> is Olympics considered a, a game? A game of skill? Sure. I would think so. I would think so. But no one particularly... Let's, let's, let's go further and we'll get to see. We'll see more. These are just some different opinions that are there. We'll get, we'll get to see some... Um, Players can bet on themselves. So, specifically, put money on. So now in the Talmud, we gave another explanation as to why gambling is wrong. And um, the other opinion in the Talmud was that it is Eino Osek B'Yishuvo Shel Olam that he is not, the person gambling is not being productive. And this again could be understood in multiple ways. Maimonides says that the problem over here is that a person is simply not a productive part of society. You're, when you're gambling, you are not doing anything productive. You are not helping society in any way. That is therefore a bad thing. Rashi tells us, an uh, 11th century scholar, tells us that the problem with gambling is that not with the time that you're essentially doing something that's not productive, but you're making money from something that doesn't have any value. Making money where you did not invest, a real investment, you did not invest, and you did not work for it, the money that you make of the lottery is money that you didn't really deserve. And money that is not deserved or not earned is not good money. We know today that people that win lotteries tend to, most of the time, it destroys their life. Because um, money that is not earned um, is not usually good for you. And so therefore, Rash says that's the problem. You don't really value the money that is not earned. And uh, Rashi says it will lead to other forms of illicit money not earned, such as stealing. So once somebody gets money one way, not earned properly, they will then seek other forms of illicit money that is not properly earned. Regardless, this appears, the problem of not being productive appears to only be a problem if you are gambling extensively. 
if you spend significant amount of time gambling. However, if you only gamble small amounts for fun, um, perhaps on weekends or on trips to Vegas, if the problem was just um, that one is not being a productive part of society, if you're just doing it as a recreational activity, it shouldn't then be a problem. So which one is it? So the halacha, or the law is, we follow both opinions. In other words, we are concerned both about the asmachta form of gambling, as well as we are concerned about the non-productive form of gambling. Rav Yosef Karo, who wrote the Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law, he lived in the 1500s, and um, one of the most important halachic Jewish legal authorities, um, um, follows my, the view of Maimonides that all forms of gambling is an asmachta. All forms of gambling, the money made is illicit. And therefore, one cannot gamble at all. Um, a modern Sephardic rabbi, Rav Ovadja Yosef, generally Sephardic Jews, I should point out, generally for Sephardic Jews, um, generally follow the views of Rav Yosef Karo, um, and historically have most of the time followed Rav Yosef Karo's views um, in halacha, in Jewish law. And therefore, um, Rav Ovadji Yosef says that, who was a Sephardic scholar um, in the 20th century, says that for Sephardic, Jew, Sephardic Jews are prohibited from any form of gambling. And he went so far to say that even a lottery is illegal for, is against Jewish law for Sephardic Jews. It would be forbidden based on the rulings of Rav, of, uh, of Rav Yosef Karo, who was the lead halachic authority for all of Sephardic Jewry for the last 500 years. Um, there were other Sephardic scholars that suggested that lotteries, especially if the money is going to public funding, which the public lotteries, at least in this, in this state, are, um, they go to the state and they go to, uh, they have specific... Um, designations, which I'm not sure exactly what each thing is going to, but the lotteries, the Powerballs and the Mega Millions and all the other lotteries that the the state-owned lotteries go to very specific functions, um, public use, um, that would be permitted for Sephardic Jews. But Rav Avad Yosef is of the view that all gambling, all lotteries, all betting is prohibited for Sephardic Jews. The the Ramah, Rav Moshe Israelis, who was... um, also lived about 500 years ago in the 1500s and was the lead um, halachic authority for Ashkenazic Jewry, um, was, uh, followed the view of Rabbeinu Tam that gambling, is, um, that gambling is only a problem if there's no prize money already on the table. So if the, prize, if the money was not put out to start with, then gambling is a problem or betting is a problem. But if you already put down the money or you already bought the ticket, once you already put down the chips on the table, once you've already put it down um, and you're betting with something already on the table, Rabbein Tam says it's not an asmachta. Ramosha Israelis follows that view. Um, and as a result, Ashkenazic jury generally follow the halachic stances of Ramosha Israelis, the Ramah, and um, therefore, Ashkenazic jury, Jews would be permitted to gamble only if money is put down first. Even then, they would only be permitted to gamble if it is not done as a regular activity. 
if it is done as a once-off. Indeed, as we mentioned, Jews did gamble historically on Hanukkah. Um, there was a time when Jews did gamble. Um, if it's small amounts of money and it's a once-off, it's not a regular activity, um, it would be um, permitted. Now, Jewish scholars have long recognized that there are, and Jewish leaders have long recognized the societal problems that come with gambling. We know, of course, that besides the problem of illegal gains and um, possible illegal gains, and in addition to the problem of, um, of not being productive, gambling can also be addictive. And once someone starts gambling, they can get stuck and caught in a gambling cycle and hard to break free. Rav Yitzchak Bar Sheshet, called the Rivash, a 14th century scholar from Spain, writes about gambling that it is bad, despicable, and disgusting, and it has destroyed many lives. He writes this is going back over 600 years. Um, he, write, he writes this. And so uh, Maimonides writes negative things about gambling. And in fact, many Jewish communities would create takanot, or rules, the community council, the community leadership, would create local laws for their own community. And many communities we know, because we have some of those laws that have survived, many communities created laws outlawing gambling, or different forms of gambling, because they had a trouble with Jews gambling. And so throughout the generations, Jewish scholars and leaders have rallied against it, um, against gambling because of the societal harms that we know that gambling causes. In fact, many because gambling was widely um, was widely played on Hanukkah. Um, in many books on the laws of Hanukkah, including in the Mishnah Bura and the Aruch HaShulchan, as part of the laws of Hanukkah, they have they include a long piece about the negative. Um, about the, all the reasons not to gamble and why people should avoid gambling even on Hanukkah. Um, perhaps um, the... So for all of these reasons, um, gambling, we should say, is forbidden for Sephardic Jews. Um, perhaps even lotteries are forbidden for Sephardic Jews. That's debated. For Ashkenazic Jews, it is permitted, but then only if money is on the table. And even then... It is only if one does not gamble regularly, and even then it is strongly frowned upon. We see it in a very negative light. Maimonides points out that gambling is a big waste of time. People waste time. Besides wasting money, people forget about the, it, that it is a waste of time. Um, we often forget that time is more valuable than Money, right? Our time is much more valuable. We only have a limited time. In Judaism, wasting time is one of the worst offenses in Judaism. Because we believe that we were created for a mission and a purpose. We believe that every person is placed on earth with a mission. And every person has a purpose. And so if you waste time, you are wasting time from your mission and purpose. When I, would, when I was a kid, if we would ever say we were bored, my father would say a Jew is never bored. 
we always find something to do, to do something constructive. Um, so the problem, this is not unique to gambling. This is all game playing. Game playing is okay if it's a form of relaxation. It's okay at the end of a long day to wind down by playing a game. It's okay um, to, on a weekend, um, to have vacation and to, or to spend some time playing a little bit just to relax oneself, to clear one's mind. That's fine because that is a productive, that is a productive activity. You are relaxing yourself so that you will have the energy, the ability to um, be more productive. But it is always important to ask oneself when playing games, am I being productive? Um, as a Jew, and the truth is not just for Jews, it's for all people, we believe that every person is placed here with a mission and a purpose in life. Um, we say in script, we say, Yamim Yutsaro Belay Echad Bahem, that um, in um, scripture it tells us that God created every person with limited number of days. Every person has a limited number of days in their life, a limited number of hours in their life, a limited number of minutes in their life. And so it's the most valuable commodity that we have, and we are expected to maximize our time. And we are placed here for a purpose and a mission, and we therefore should be maximizing our time. So any form of games, whether it is gambling for money, or just playing games, if it is for relaxation, that's great. If it is, because then you're using it in a productive manner. Or if it's a form of socializing, you're having a family game to get the family to build a um, relationship with the family. Or today they do it now at the workplace, right? To build, um, what do they call it? To build um, team building. Um, they play workplace games. Um, that might be great. But you always have to ask yourself, is it productive or am I just addicted to this game? Do I, just feel the, do I just want the thrill of winning and therefore continue playing? We have to remember that our goal in life is not to enjoy life or live it to the fullest. Our goal in life is to make an impact and really to um, fulfill our mission and our purpose in life, make an impact on the world around us. So perhaps that is our greatest lesson of Hanukkah. Um, <coughs> That it's not just about playing games, but about lighting up the world around us, try to make an impact. And whether we can gamble on the side a little um, or not, we definitely should avoid, do everything we can to avoid wasting time. So with that.